Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Seth Herzog is what Malcolm Gladwell would call a connector. The Zog seemingly knows everyone in comedy and show business who lives and works in New York at any given moment. And on any given Tuesday, you might see one of his famous friends on stage or playing sidekick to the Zog at his weekly comedy showcase Sweet, which he began hosting in New York City's Lower East Side in 2004. Since 2009, Seth also has served as the audience warm-up comedian for Jimmy Fallon, first on Late Night and for the past two years on The Tonight Show. Zog tells me about his lifelong friendship with Michael Showalter, growing up in Princeton, the alt-comedy scene of New York in the 1990s, and how he survived several years living in one of the smallest apartments in the Big Apple. So let's get to it! We're doing it live! I've been in the room in so many rooms with him, and I've wanted to say to him, we'll do it live, but I guarantee you I will get kicked out of whatever I have thrown out. He does not, I'm sure he does not like that. Oh. He doesn't like, I've heard rumors he doesn't like even little things being said to him in like elevators or whatever. Like he doesn't like to be joked around with, as far as I can tell. That Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. We'll do it live. But Seth Herzog, thank you for staying up are late we, with me. Are we recording? I think so. I hope so. Uh, do you always record your podcast at 3 a.m. after you've gotten your guests kind of high? It's uh, it's kind of my thing. All right. So I just and, and everyone has to have their pants off. That's some sort of requirement. You you said it's a suggestion. All right. You said requirement, so <laughs> now it feels weird. Well, Seth Herzog, last things first, <laughs> because that's the title of the show. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 slightly fighting a head cold. You look fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> My question to you is: When is the last time you were so sick that you had to bail on a show or? Wanted to bail on a show. Interesting question. You really get to it. You really cut to the heart of like what comedy is about. Um, it's a job. It is a job. And so there's I, sometimes you don't want to do the job. Well, You're I feeling mean, Ill. working at the Tonight Show. I mean, I, even when I'm sick, I show up. Yeah. I just am very careful about not shaking hands with anyone because I really don't want to be the guy who got the whole staff sick. Mm. But I. Well, I've never not shown up to the night show because I was sick. I've ever, no matter how sick I am, I show up every single time. Even if I'm nauseous and got to throw up, I show up. Ha, um, have you thrown up on the job? No. I've threw up in a play I was in. I got food poisoning oh. doing a professional theater uh, production. How old were you? This was right after college. I was like 21, okay. 22. And I was doing a Christmas Carol at McCarter Theater. And it was the third version of it I'd done. Because I did one, I was in the very first production of Christmas Carol that they did there when I was a kid. And I was like in fourth grade. No, did that you, was fifth were you, grade. Were you Tiny Tim? I was not. <laughs> I was Ned. Oh. The forgotten brother Cratchit. But he was blessed as well. Cause, Who, Ned? Well, there was... Because Tiny Tim said, God bless us, everyone. Well, so everyone, so that gets, includes everyone Ned. blessed, yeah. But there's Peter, the older brother, who's mm -hmm. in all the different versions. And there's Tiny Tim, obviously, who's in all the versions. Right. Then there's another bro Ned Cratchit, who's only in certain versions of the story. He doesn't make every single version. If really? you watch all the different movies, Ned only shows up in about three of the 60 movies. Wow. So I was Ned, okay. the forgotten brother. <laughs> um, but then when I'm older, and yeah. I did other productions, I was like bunch of different small parts, mm -hmm. like townspeople or whatever. But I'm always, in my brain, I was like, I'm Ned, come back for revenge. <laughs> 
But so there's lots of dancing. I was oh. a townsperson and I had like five different little parts, but there's like dance numbers, like the Fezziwig dance party. Yeah. And I had the worst food poisoning and I couldn't not go to, the, oh, we had two shows that, that day too. And I was like, I can't, I think I can get through two shows. And I remember throwing up after the dance number backstage. In a bucket or just? Toilet, in the toilet. Okay. Well, at least you were I, I made it to, you were a I professional. Made it, I made it to the toilet and then I was yeah. like, I got to do it again. And I didn't. I powered through two shows being the sickest I think I've ever been. I threw up during the opening ceremonies of Little League. What? Well, well, the opening ceremonies? While standing on the, on the first baseline with the rest of my team. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I was so nervous slash excited to make the majors of Little League that... What, what do you mean the opening ceremonies? Like we For just, opening day, they get oh, right. all the teams and they line them up. And right. The we had to first select. So you weren't even first playing; you're just standing there. It was before, yeah. It was before the game. Were, were I, I also threw up. Anthem? I also threw up during the game. But were you it, nervous? The, was, you were, were you, it was a sickness. Or you were just so nervous. I think to I was play? nervous. I think That's I was adorable. just so nervous slash excited. That's adorable. But um, you're. You said you fought. You fought through every kind of illness. Yeah. To perform at the Tonight Show is that. Uh, is that out of fear that a Lou Gehrig situation will come if you call in sick and they'll <laughs> Lou Gehrig? I'm gonna get ALS you, if, uh, no, if I don't show up. No, I mean the legend of Lou Gehrig playing was that the first baseman for the Yankees got injured and then Lou Gehrig got to replace him. Oh, and, and the other Yankee never got to play again. See, it's funny. I think of that as um, <laughs> ALS, Shirley MacLaine. Um, syndrome. Oh. So I'm more thinking like an understudy. Okay. There was some story about Shirley MacLaine that she became famous because uh, there was, she was understudying a play and someone, the lead, had to bail and then she replaced them for the night and was so good the lead never came back. I think that's a story. I could be wrong. Someone call in or. But let does us that know if that's keep wrong. you showing up at, at 30 Rock um, afternoon after afternoon? It's just more to do with the fact that I want to save any day I would ever take off from that show for things I really would need to do. I don't want to just willy-nilly not come because I'm sick or something. So it's really... You know it's a professional ethic. Oh, okay. Well, it's also the joy of being part of the the number one show in Late Night. It's great. It's a great. It's the best time. It really is the yeah. best time. We did this thing yesterday, this Bob Dylan spoof oh, thing. Oh, yeah, the so Hotline Bling. Hotline Bling. It was so good and recorded so well. Like, the crew did a great job. Jimmy did a great job. Everyone did a top-notch job. It's simple, simple, but just done really well. Now, when you were a kid in McCarter Theater in mm -hmm. Princeton, New Jersey, was this the dream that you would be sitting on a podcast with you? No, that you would yeah, be a you would be a, uh, a full time employee with the Tonight Show. No, and I, I mean I was always was a, a comedian. I was always a, a fan of comedy. I was always mm -hmm. a student of comedy. Um, but I was an actor. I was an actor. Yeah. I mean, when I was, I was really what I wanted as a kid. I was like, I tread the boards. I'm a serious thespian, you know. What What was it that got you into acting at such an early age? Mm. Was it your mother? <laughs> my family, my mom's side of the family is very theatrical, mm -hmm. but none of them are professional actors or anything, but they're very theater-y. Okay. You know, they love to play. They're like professional charades players. Right. Uh, my mom's sister is a TV director, okay. um, but none of them are performers professionally, but they all are have that sort of ability, you know what I'm saying? They have that vibe. Well, how did you catch the bug? Um, you know, it's funny. I was talking about this in another pod podcast. I was just always a natural performer, and I sort of mm -hmm. feel like I was always just thinking in terms of those terms. I remember in first grade, we did the Mickey Mouse Club. 
which is we basically stole the logo and the songs straight from the show, the mm-hmm. TV show, The Mickey Mouse Club, which didn't even exist at the time when we were kids. So I didn't even know what it was when we were doing it because it wasn't on air at the time. Right. But, um, there was a gap. A there was a gap between that. That was over. And between we were still the Annette Funicello Mickey Mouse Club yeah. and the Ryan Gosling. This was between the, two, between the two. Yeah. Mickey Mouse Club. So, um, so we did this show with our first grade class. It was the Mickey Mouse Club like variety show. Mm-hmm. And I remember very distinctly, we all were sitting around pitching jokes. Like, we're all going to go and tell a joke in front of the audience. And this guy who I'm still friends with pitched this joke. And, I, and everyone laughed. And I remember very distinctly thinking, that joke doesn't make sense. That's not funny. But if I say we can't tell that joke because it's not funny, it doesn't make sense, I'm a jerk. Because everyone just laughed at that joke. And I remember thinking, like, I can't say anything because he doesn't know better. And who were you performing this for? The other. Who was the audience? The other, you know, first graders and third graders. First, I don't know who else came. So, like, at recess or? No, it was like, the... no, like, during school, like, the rest of the school had to come and watch our stupid first grade show. It was, like, required of them to come. Was Michael Showalter part, part of this Mike club? Mike was not. No. Mike and I became friends a couple years later in third grade. Oh. What happened in third grade to bring your worlds together? We just were in the same class. We weren't in the same class yet. In fact, okay. he was in England, I think, when I was in first grade oh. or second grade. I think he was. He did a year or two in That explains. Yeah, lots. Makes a lot, right? But Mike and I, got when we met in third grade, we mm-hmm. were doing a lot of, like, creative stuff together we mm-hmm. were drawing we sat next to each other we were always drawing pictures and and talking about movies we liked and and writing things we had a in fourth grade we had a we had a sketch show a short-lived sketch <laughs> show we did during recess called, what was it called called sunday morning hangover and it was a spoof of saturday night fever which was popular you already knew what a hangover was I, so it had in to be explained grade? to me <laughs> mike knew what it was and our other friend toby miller who was mm-hmm. in the show with us who's an actor now he had to be explained to me. They they knew what it was. I didn't know what it was. Oh, okay. But the joke, the original joke of the sketch was, it's as if we're in the the, the nightclub in Saturday Night Fever, but it's right. Sunday at like 10 a.m. and yeah. everyone's still trying to pretend they're having fun. Everyone's still up and they're still dancing, but like no one's having fun, but they're still trying to keep up the vibe that they're having <laughs> the like best time ever. It's like a dance marathon. Yeah, it's like a dance marathon, but it's Sunday morning. <laughs> everyone's tapped out. They're all tapped out. They're like, no, we're still doing it. We're still doing it. Do the hustle. One more hustle. One more hustle, guys. So you... You were writing original sketches? Yeah, just coming with stupid ideas. I yeah. mean, we did it. They had these little things. I don't know. We called them cubbies, but they were just these little foyers, like the doors where the where the outside doors were. There's like a little hangover mm-hmm. and a little cement wall. So it was like this little foyer before you went outside. So we do it in the foyer area outside of the main doors. We just have people sit on the ground and we would just do these stupid sketches we thought up like that day. And how long did that group stay together? <laughs> we're all still friends. But like that show was like I think we did that like four or five times during okay. during recess. But I remember thinking it was particularly interesting that we were doing these little sketch shows for our friends. Did you and did you and Mike and other people continue writing we comedy throughout elementary and junior we, and high school? Junior, not nothing in middle school, uh, but in high school, Mike and I wrote and Toby I think too. We wrote a sketch for another talent show Toby. in high school. Toby Miller, he's a theater actor. Okay. Um, and we wrote a sketch because it was a thing called peer group, which was all the students were split up into groups. They're just like little like like it, like adolescent chat groups. You talk about like drugs and alcohol oh. and like sex and like pressures you're going through, whatever. They're like like bullshit rap <laughs> groups, you know. Like let's just sit and rap. The more you know about like like teen teen issues, right. but it's like after was school special in school, of, right? Right. 
And then, so during one of the things, we all had to do like a show, like a, like each group had to put on a show for each right. other. So Mike and I were recruited, because we were in the same group, had to write a sketch. We wrote a sketch called That Sketch, which was just making fun of every typical peer group sketch. Just deconstructing all the right. stupid stuff that everyone else writes in there. So I remember thinking that was, that was fun. Um, but we were, we were doing a lot of theater. Like, you know, me and Mike were doing a lot of like, we were in The Crucible, we were in like musicals. We were in all sorts of plays. In fact, I just got the DVDs of The Crucible and uh, Three Penny Opera that we were both in uh, from the DVDs, from the video of it. I'm afraid to watch it because it's going to be embarrassing and awful. I, I remember one uh, edition of Sweet where you and you had Mike as a guest and you, uh -huh. you dug up some film you had of you guys and your high school friends doing something shirtless in Princeton. I don't shirtless. know what it was. Oh, Oh, I don't know. Yes. It was several years yes. ago that I remember no, this. The DVD that it was, was in the old slipper room. We room's did a that was just been had been sent to me. It was a it was a movie version of a separate piece that we had shot for a class project. Mike wasn't in it. Oh, okay. But me and these two other guys, we But it was a Princeton It was a Princeton production. High thing. It was a Princeton yeah. High thing. Yeah. We we shot you a, townies, I don't know. We shot a, yeah, I know, I know. We're hardcore townies, you gowns. <laughs> That's what we call you, the town versus the gown. But we uh, we unite over Hoagie Haven, so. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, we, we I showed scenes of this terrible um, a separate piece movie we made. <laughs> so uh, Mike goes to NYU and mm -hmm. makes some friends and yeah. they do some comedy. And mm -hmm. you went I went to, to school in the South. You went to the South. I went to Rhodes College in the South. And what did you do there? What did I do did there? You, did you think about what you had done in New Jersey? <laughs> I just sat there and time out and talked about what I've done. You sit here in Memphis for a while and think about what you've done. Rhodes? Is that what? Uh, Rhodes is what it's called, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a great little school. It's like, you know, 1,300 students, really small. Beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful campus. Um, it's a lot of, it was really interesting. It was really interesting because it's like, for the South, it was like a very little like liberal arts school. It was like a little Vassar or like Bennington from the in the South, which is hard to come by. Yeah. And um the kids were really smart. Those classes were really hard. I got to go to Europe and study art for four months, which you was were really a Rhodes nice. scholar. I was a Rhodes scholar. That's my my dad's big joke. <laughs> Having gone to Princeton High was, Hey, you're a Princeton graduate and a Rhodes scholar. Yeah. Hilarious. I'm, I'm so, glad so. that I'm, my humor is online with your Exactly yeah. my, my 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 dad. Um but it was a great experience going to college in the South. Like it was, even though it's only, you know, I don't know, a 16 hour drive from New Jersey, it is another world right. away, especially for like a 17 year old. That's another world. Yeah. That's a separate world. Did you feel like an outsider uh -huh. in the South? Oh yeah. And yes, and I very much did. And it helped me and hurt me. Like it helped me in the sense that like, I felt very individual at college. Mm -hmm. I felt like I'm a very unique person here. There's a lot of homogeneousness going on with mm -hmm. a lot of these like white southern kids are all kind of the same. But I just being a sort of Jew from New Jersey yeah. and also being into theater was like I was like an anomaly. But it wasn't like I was anomaly that was isolated. I got mm -hmm. a ton of attention. A ton of attention from the students and the girls and everything. Like, who are you? What are you about? What's you were, your whole thing? You're exotic. I was exotic. But like not threatening or dangerous and you were st in, but you still wanted to be an actor serious yeah. yeah i was doing a lot of theater there too but i did a lot of theater but i gotta tell you I, i'm a little annoyed still that i was in the um company which is this group of actors you have to audition to get in mm -hmm. at school which is like there's like 12 of us actors and it's like a class but you're like in the theater company of like the theater 
And my senior year, the staff didn't cast me in a single play my senior year. Still mad about that. Did you ever find out why? No. The directors just didn't like me. The only play I did senior year... Anti-Semitism? Was, yes. (laughs) Anti-Semitism. There's even a play we even did my senior year. We even did God's God's Country. Oh, I thought you were going to say God's Bell. You know, God's Country was the play about... um, Alan Berg, the radio DJ in Denver, got killed because no. uh, by the white supremacist group who thought he was. Talk radio is based on the oh, same thing. Okay, so it's Eric basically Bogosian's it's thing. the it's the actual court transcripts oh. of that same incident. Okay, um, and in the court transcripts, they're constantly talking about the Zog, <laughs> constantly. So it's so funny. I was like, I can't even get into the play where they're talking about the Zog the entire time. I can't even get a part in that play. Did that? Did that? <laughs> Did that propel your desire to move back here into New York? I was going to come back no matter what. Oh, okay. I was not staying in Memphis. Are you kidding me? So you immediately moved to New York? Oh, yeah. I I moved to New York so fast. <laughs> I didn't even stay in Memphis for like a day. <laughs> You're like, here's the my cap, my gown, my degree. The day I graduated, I went to New Orleans for three days, mm-hmm. and then I flew back home, and no one was even in my house, my mom's house. So... And I graduated, the South graduates way early before all the Northeastern schools do. So I had like three weeks before the rest of my right. friends were home. So I took my car, my mom's car that was in the garage, and I drove up to Vassar, and I parted with my friends at Vassar for three days. Oh, nice. And then we did what my friends and I did, we called the, the Wizard of Oz tour, where I had stayed at Vassar for graduation, mm-hmm. and then a, one of the friends from Vassar, we then went to Wesleyan, stayed there for graduation, and then one of those guys, we drove somewhere else for graduation. So we were picking up people along the way and just going to different friends' colleges and hanging out. That's a nice tour. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, and then you went to film school? I went to, I went to no film school. Oh, I watched, I, I saw a video of you that looked like it was a film school production. I've been in, from I've been in some Columbia. film school productions. Oh, where you were playing? I didn't go to film school. I got hired for that. Oh, you got hired for that. Okay. Yeah. Where that, you played a character called Cesar? Cesar. That was. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting experience. That was a character I was doing on stage live. Uh, at comedy shows? At or comedy or shows. Like more like, okay. At comedy shows. Like the Carolines, I did it in a bunch of other shows. And it was just a, it's a spoof of a film student. Like at this point, at, when that happened, that was like 98. I'd been in okay. New York since 94. So I've been in New York for four years doing theater and stand-up right. kind of at the, same, at the same time. And... One of the stand-up things I was doing, I didn't want to just do stand-up, so I was trying to do characters, trying to bring some, create some weird mm-hmm. characters. And I'd done a bunch of film uh, student films. And God damn, these film students. One, I did one <laughs> student film at NYU, and the guy pissed me off so much, the director, that I did this character based on him. <laughs> but he was so, everything was so precious. And that was And he that. was, everything was so important and so precious. And like, it was the stupidest project, but he was like, took it so seriously. Had no sense of humor about it. So I did this character that we did for the Columbia film students mm-hmm. that we shot it to then show at their graduation oh, to make okay. fun of the film students, basically. So I just what misread the yeah. description of so it. So I was just basically I asked thought it was your Columbia shoot. film. No, I was asked to shoot it as a School. joke for the students. Okay. And um, um, but the, originally the version that was was 30 seconds long. But then I asked for all the raw footage, mm-hmm. and then I hired an editor, and I edited a four-minute version oh, of it. Considering we shot like okay. we shot like I don't know hours worth of this guy, and I was like, we should do a longer cut because it's a really funny bit. So I cut a four-minute version of it. So how how did the adult 
comedian. You've told me about the elementary school comedian, uh-huh. Seth Herzog. Yeah. Then you were going to be a serious actor. Yeah. What made you turn back to... I'll tell you exactly what it was. Please. I was doing a lot of plays and doing comedy at the side. Like, like when I first came to New York, I was doing comedy like... Um, there was a place called Gladys's Comedy Room. Mm-hmm. Did you ever hear of that? No. Okay. Heard Gladys's, of Hamburger Mary's. Yeah. Hamburger Harris. That's, just, that's okay. exactly right. Okay. Hamburger Harris was this restaurant, this hamburger restaurant mm-hmm. on 45th Street. And in the back, in a, there was a room that was just a comedy room in the back called Gladys's Comedy Room. And this oh, old okay. woman, Gladys, ran it. Got it. And when I started going there, the, it was the regular guys where you know Gaffigan was doing it, Leo Allen was doing it, Russ Maneev was doing it, like all these guys. And then I went to the open mic. They would, they would have only open mics Wednesday and then weekend shows, and that was it. And I did the open mic, and I was like, everyone there. And I didn't know what an open mic was like in New York. I'd never been to one before, so I thought people were going to be great, maybe. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it was going to be a bunch of shut-ins who are crazy people <laughs> just talking on a mic and no one listening. <laughs> I was like, right, it's not like is... a poetry open mic or a guitar open mic. Yeah, it was just this nuts. Is... This was, yeah. It was nuts. And it wasn't like the open mics now. I feel like the open mics now in New York are like really good young comics working their asses off. That's what's happening now. I feel like back then the open mm-hmm. mics were like just people who think they're poets or think they're funny and just show up and talk and it just doesn't go anywhere. Like it's just, they're just, they're kind of nuts. <laughs> so... I did my act at this open mic at Gladys's, and it went pretty well. And then Gladys was like, you got to do our weekend shows. You're great. Da, 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 da. So I started getting booked on their like Friday, Saturday shows. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Slovin was at that open, open mic. I remember him being there. Were Slovin and Alan a team yet? They were friends. I don't know if they were a team. I think they were a team. They'd just become a team. Yes. And, and was your act character based then no, or that was just, just stand up just okay. stand up. I remember the jokes I remember the jokes yeah like what the jokes were like I remember the first real joke I did on stage and there's video of this because I did it on a talk show that I can't find video of anywhere um it was a daytime talk show it wasn't mm-hmm. a nighttime talk show <laughs> um the joke was about um Gloria Stefan's lyrics it was like a you know typical like making fun of song lyrics joke and I was say um you know Gloria Stefan, she's so ahead of her time with these lyrics. Like, people don't understand her. Like, she's doing shit you don't even understand. Like, she has this one song that goes, one, two, three, four. Come on, baby, say you love me. Five, six, seven times. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. I just want to keep on counting. How brilliant is that? That's just, she's doing some numerology theory in there. Yeah. She's doing stuff you don't even understand. Um, <laughs> did so did that, that kill in daytime? It did. No, well, here's, here's what <laughs> happened. That joke would sort of go over in the clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I did it, on the there was a show called the Mark Wahlberg Talk Show. What? Not Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark. The oh, guy right, who hosts Temptation the, Island. Right, okay. and, um, blind Date? Was that blind? Part? No, not Blind Date, but he hosts... Uh, yeah. The one where people bring their trinkets and everyone's like, that's worth $6,000 oh. on PBS. Oh, Antiques Roadshow. And he, he hosts that. Okay. The host of, of Antiques Roadshow used to have his own talk show. Daytime. Daytime. Yeah. And one of the things was you had to be a stand-up. They, he wanted to break stand-ups. And I didn't really, I knew about the show, but I never watched mm-hmm. it. My mom calls me out of nowhere. She goes, 
hey, do you know the Mark Wahlberg show? And I say, yeah. She goes, well, they want comics on. I think you should do it. And this time I'm, tr I'm trying so hard to like keep my street cred. And I'm like, I don't want to be on a daytime talk show right. stand-up. I'm like downtown comic. I'm like trying to keep my East Village street cred. Like I'm not going to be on a daytime talk show. She's like, I already told them you'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> so they what call a momager. They call me up. Yeah. I don't even give them my number. They call me up and they're like, Seth, we hear you want to do, want to perform on the show. And I'm like, I guess. They're like, can you give us some of your act? I was like, over the phone, want me to perform over the phone for you? Like, this is so. One, two, three, so four. So I did that joke. <laughs> over the phone. And they, went, they loved it. Uh, I did that joke and one other joke over, yeah. the, over the phone. Uh -huh. They're like, that's the best we've heard yet. <laughs> Like, are you serious? Are they like come on the show? <laughs> Who else were they booking? I don't know. They people were terrible. People weren't really good. There was one other really good comic I remember on the show. So they they like come on the show and do it. I was like, mm -hmm. I don't I'm gonna do it. They're like, please, please come and do it. And they called me every day till I said till I said yes. <laughs> they called me every day. It was amazing. That's so finally I was like, fine, I'll come and do your show. What channel was that on? <sighs> Nine, I oh, guess. Yeah. So and they kept saying we're gonna bring a car for you. We're gonna get a car. We're gonna make it really nice for you. Mm -hmm. Car car never never came. I had to take a cab. Wait, if it was Channel Nine, was that filmed in Stakakis? No, it was, was right it? here on like Fifty Seventh okay. and Tenth or whatever, yeah. sort of where the Daily Show is is now. And so I, I went on, and when I did the joke on TV, <laughs> I screwed it up. In oh, fact, no! I've seen the video of it. I don't know where it is, but I know there's video of it somewhere. Uh -huh. I counted wrong. <laughs> I'm making fun of her counting in the song, and I counted wrong. <laughs> That's very meta. I said, I go, I, and it's because the, the break starts because one, two, three, four, come right. on, baby, say, let me five, six, seven times. I went, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> come on, baby, say you love me. Six, seven, eight. And you could see in the video, <laughs> the, the oh, on seven, nine, I'm like, I'm realizing, oh my God, I've counted wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, how do I, head. you can see it, you can see me. They're like, oh my God, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of this? <laughs> anyway, it was fun. It, it, went, it went pretty well, but the whole audience was high school kids. That's how they filled the Mark Wahlberg oh, wow. daytime talk show. Okay. Hundred, my, my one friend was in the audience mm -hmm. who came to see me, and then a hundred percent like fifteen-year-olds. <laughs> no joke, it was crazy. Now, how? What was? Sweet is now coming up on its twelfth anniversary in twenty sixteen, according yeah. to my counting yes. numbers. Yes, we we've done eleven years in about three three months. So in two thousand four, what? What was the comedy scene like, and what was your comedy like that you decided to do a weekly? Well, that show? it's much more complicated than that. I, uh, all right, I had through the throughout the '90s, I had done a lot of theater mm -hmm. and stand up on the on this on the side, but I was sort of getting tired of doing theater. I was doing all these plays, and they were not great. Some were great, some were terrible. But I felt like with theater, you're really pouring all this time and energy into these plays that no one goes to see. Like your friends go see it, and that's it. Maybe the Times will do a review that no one will, no one will read. Mm -hmm. Like these little off-Broadway plays, and it's like kind of fun, but like it just felt incestuous and weird, and like really like a dead a dead end. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I was still doing stand-up like once a week, twice a week for fun. And I went to a wedding, and I gave a funny speech at a wedding. And um, Spacey's name, uh, Howard uh, Owens, who mm -hmm. was an agent at William Morris at the time, was there. And he was like, you're funny, and I hear you do stand-up. Because I guess he was asking people, like, oh, that guy's really funny. They're like, oh, that guy's an actor, he does stand-up. He's like, you're funny, we need to talk. 
So he brought me into the office, mm-hmm. and he was an agent for producers at the time. So okay. he brought me in and met all the comedy people, and they were all very nice. They didn't really want to work with me because they—he was the one who cared about me. They didn't mm-hmm. really care. Right. So like, we don't even know who this guy. They didn't is. know who they is. I mean, they knew who I was because I, I was sort of a—I was a comic on the scene, so they knew me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they didn't—they weren't like passionate about me. So I didn't end up signing with William Morris, but I ended up meeting a lot of people and and becoming friends with Howard, and but it really changed my whole game. I was like, no more place, just do stand up. So right at that time was Josh Weinstein, you know, the Josh and Josh show in L.A. Okay. Now yeah. he was had just started a show in New York called The Industry Room, and he asked me to be a like producer on the on the show. So it was John Viner, mm-hmm. Ophira. Eisenberg, Eisenberg, and me and Josh mm-hmm. Weinstein hosted hosted and produced this weekly show at this little theater space on Forty Fourth Street. Um, the industry room was the greatest little greatest experience. It was so fun because between the four of us, we had a packed house every week. We all booked a friend or two to be on the show with us, and it was just super fun. I don't know why it was just such a great. And it was at the time, it was like around two thousand one when just a lot of new comics had just come into New York, like Eugene had just moved to New York, Patrick Billy just moved to New York, Baldo was starting to do stand-up, you know, Josh Comer's, like, I mean, just like, so many people were just moved here and just starting to do stand-up. It was kind of an exciting time. And Stella was already happening at that point at Fez. Um, Luna, that show was still popular, but like not as popular as it used to be, so there was still like, uh, UCB was just becoming a thing. Right. Like that had been open for like two or three years. So it was a real oomph. Like it was right at the time when like that alt scene was really exploding. So it was a real exciting time to be in stand-up. And our, because of that, our shows were just popular. Like people were showing up every week. It was like nuts. We moved to a much bigger theater space for several months. And then we were the first show. Josh Weinstein discovered um, 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 The Village Lantern. You know, the Visual Lantern is now a place that has like comedy shows every night. Yeah, Josh Weinstein was the one who made that happen. Oh. He discovered it. it was like we should do comedy here. So our Lindy's Dream was the first show there ever. Okay. And then when we left, they started doing right. comedy. Like, comedy. Oh, there. We should. We should do high. this. Yeah. But we were the only show there for like about a, about a year. Okay. Um, so then I got sort of used to doing a weekly show by working with these with these guys, and I had to write a new set every single week. So every week I I made sure I had a new ten minute set that was good every week. It was hard work. But you had to do it. It was like, so everything, anytime anything happened to me, I thought about it and I wrote it down. Anything in politics, anything that's happening, anything that's happening, anything that went through my brain, I was like, how is this going to be in the set? You know, and it just really was, and I did that for like two years. And that really trains your brain to like think about things in terms of stand-up and how can anything be a bit, you know? Yeah. At the same time, the shark show was just beginning. And the shark show asked me to do a set at every shark show. They're being really nice about it. And that was at the Parkside Lounge? That was, well, originally at the Slipper Room, Slipper. and then okay. they moved to Parkside. Okay. They moved, actually. The Shark Show had seven different homes. <laughs> really. You should get, like, Nick Stevens on here and have mm-hmm. him talk about that. It's, okay. Shark Show history is hilarious. Um, so, but I was still, even the Shark Show moved every couple months, I was mm-hmm. always in it every single time. And that was, that was another, like, training ground, because I had to come up with new stuff and new acts just performing all the time there too. And then I was doing other shows in between that, so booking a lot. So all of a sudden I went from like doing little stand-up to doing a ton. And then um, when the industry room ended, because Josh and John moved to LA, I was like, I didn't feel like I wanted to keep producing that show anymore. I sort of did two years where I was just performing on everyone else's show. 
And then all my friends used to come to the industry room because my friends used to come. That was their weekly hangout. They'd come. They'd, they'd watch me. We'd all party afterwards. They're like, we need. A, why don't you do another weekly show? We want to have somewhere to like hang out, you know. So that's when I started Sweet because the Slipper Room and I, the James who runs the Slipper Room and I are friends. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he came to me. He was like, I need a Thursday night thing. I don't have a Thursday night thing. And I was like, oh, actually, that's not how it started. <laughs> Mo Pickens was about to open, uh. and Jesse Hartman asked me if I wanted to do a weekly show at Mo Pickens before it opened. He's like, hey, we're opening this new comedy space. Mm-hmm. Can you host a weekly show there? And I said yes. But they were taking so long to build the space that Slip Room was like, ominous, we ominous. need a Thursday show. Mm-hmm. Can you do it here? And I said, yes, I'm going to do it here, but I'm going to move it to Mo Pickens. This is so boring. I don't know why your audiences are not listening to this. No, so, this, is, <laughs> this is foreshadowing. Okay. This is foreshadowing. This is foreshadowing. Yes. So I move. So then when the time, I'm, I do the Slip Room show for a year. Mm-hmm. Mo Pickens finally gets built. They call me up and they're like, okay, Seth, do you want to move the show? And I was like, no, I don't. So I ended up not moving the show to Mo Pickens. I ended up keeping it yeah. uh, at the um, 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 Slipper Room, but the Shark Show is at Mo Pickens. So I ended up performing there a lot with okay. the Shark Show. And were you already a uh, quote-unquote connector at that point? Are you familiar with the term? I'm familiar connector. with the term. <laughs> I guess well, so, you're, yeah. Well, you're familiar with a lot of people, whether I'm, it's comedians or actors. Yeah, I have a lot of friends. One of the things that... <laughs> I think one of the things that makes the Sweet Show so unique in in the comedy universe is your audience is full of creative types. Yeah, some ways. In some some of them isn't. very famous who are just there to hang out. Yeah. Sometimes they're your your sidekick. Or sometimes they the come and do a light. bit. Yeah. They do a sketch. I often. I it, mean, I it's much I do, more of a it's I'm, much more of a high profile underground variety show. Yes. Thank you. I guess. But I do try, I do, one thing I want to try to make it unique mm-hmm. is I do have a lot of actor friends who are funny and can do stuff. And they don't want to do like the pressure of doing a set, but they want to be involved. Right. So I try and, you know, like Josh Charles and I have been friends since we were kids, the actor, and I try and get him involved as much as I can. Or um, Olivia Wilde has been really cool about wanting to come down and do bits. She's done bits two or three times, you know, and Sadekis used to do bits yeah. all the time. Um Justin Long is still very much involved in the show. Sam Rockwell still does bits yeah. here and there, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, those guys are all friends, and like, I try and you know, get them involved as much as I can with like where they get to be showcased and have fun and get to be funny without like the pressure of having to like come up with something, you know. But was that a, was that a staple of the show even in the beginning? That oh yeah, yeah. That I mean, this like, is a place where anything can happen. This, anybody I, could. Any could. Yes. Anybody could be on stage. From the moment I started the show, I was like, that was the vibe I wanted. Anything could happen. Anyone could show up on stage. It can get weird. It can get silly. Um, you never know who's going to walk in the door. I mean, even from the first show was Mike Showalter and Zach Orth did a song together. Mm-hmm. That how it, That's how the show began. And the show ended with Dave Wayne and Paul Rudd doing a song together. And in the middle, Dimitri Martin performed. Um, Ed Helms told a story. And uh, there was one other person I forgot who it was. Was anyway. it your mom? My mom was on the first show. <laughs> when was the she first did, time your mom became a part of the show? It was a and, year in. And how did that become a thing? Is it too much? I'm feeling like it's too much. How did that become a thing? Well, now it's. it's I'm, I'm it's sure, too much. I'm sure it's a love or hate thing. There's some people who, who love it. A lot of people hate it. it. Trust it, me, I hear a lot about people who hate it. And there's some people who would be disappointed if they don't. For see your mom. listeners, I, I've, I've, it's become this big staple at the show. It doesn't happen every week mm-hmm. anymore because mom sometimes doesn't come. She's getting old. 
I do a bit called What's On My Mom's Mind, where she comes up, and you never know what she's going to talk about. Never and I know. just sort of deconstruct what she's doing and try and be like, it's, I try to be the voice of reason, but at the same time, it plays into that, just everyone can relate to that classic, just your mom is embarrassing you, and you're immediately frustrated and angry at her. And like, I often find myself playing that role, whether I want to or not, and I feel like a lot of the audience relates to it. They relate, they relate to the fact that what she says is so genuine and so real, and she's so herself, that's so funny to watch someone so genuine you know um did that start organically or it started at the industry room Mm -hmm. actually she had moved to new york and she wanted to come see me perform and i didn't tell anyone she was in the audience and i got on stage and i just told a bunch of stories about her i was like my whole set tonight because i was writing a new set every week Mm -hmm. my set tonight is gonna be stories about my mom okay so i had like four or five funny stories about my mom i was like this is gonna be the whole the whole thing right so i did all this the, the stories about her and then at the end of the set, I was like, by the way, you guys are in for a treat. She's actually here tonight. And the was like, no, I got So she gets on stage and she's like, okay, let me tell you why everything you said is wrong. <laughs> and that's sort of how it, how it okay. started. And then you, did you immediately go, oh, this could be a thing? I immediately got because it, it Or did so... your mom think this is a thing? It started and, more, and call, no, I, and it was much more me. It wasn't like the Mark Wahlberg situation where she, no, no. Was, <laughs> she, she was not the Pulling Lucy the to my Desi. <laughs> it was more me. It was I pushed her on okay. stage, but she happily said yes. Okay. Um, it started more at the Shark Show. I was having her on as a regular guest with mm-hmm. me at the Shark Show, and it was really funny. And that's more how it really became a regular thing. Okay. And then at Sweet, I had her on like... The first year, like once every mm-hmm. two months, I had to do like a bit with me, but it wasn't an every week thing until after a year in, I realized this is pretty funny every right. time. And I was writing a new material or a new sketch, not only every week, but like I had to fill three to five sections. Cause I have mm-hmm. like th- three to five comics every week. And I try to do a bit, an original bit between every comic. So after a while I was like, I can't write all this. It's too much writing for one guy. So I said, why don't one section always be I just interview mom, and I she'll right. and that'll be new and original because it'll be different every time. Because you'll never know what and she's going to say. Gonna say, and people love it or hate it. How do you? <laughs> well, even talking to you now, it, it makes me think of in the late night talk show history. There's there's been a tradition. I don't know if before Letterman, but Letterman certainly introduced where tons of oh, people do it. I'm gonna have Biff Henderson or. Somebody well, be a regular, and then Jimmy Kimmel picked well, up on that. Well, Dave Letterman also, his mom became a huge right. part of the show. And and then Kimmel did that. Kimmel does it with his family. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get, I see why it's such a thing, because it's so genuine and so yeah. funny and so real. These, these, these family members are such real characters. You can't fake it. And what they're saying, they mean it. And it's that's why it's so funny. And I get it. And everyone does it. Like, Margaret Cho does a whole thing with her mom. Yeah. Like, everyone does. And I get it because it's so genuine to us, and the audience can re- re- relate to it. Have you ever tried to pitch a show with you and your mom? Oh yeah, we shot a really funny pilot. I'd like to re put out there. This movie production company in New York that was making a lot of movies wanted to get into the TV game, mm-hmm. and they were coming to Sweet a lot. Some of the women who were running this uh, company, so they we shot a pilot. I was living in what was sort of famously the smallest apartment in the I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I recently rewatched the video I shot with oh, you. Oh, you shot the video. When That's you were right. moving out. Yes. There's been a, there was a, a, but there was a documentary. There was a documentary. Toby Miller, that my friend I mentioned before, Toby Miller and his friend 
shot um, Bill. That's his buddy's name. Bill and him shot this doc documentary mm-hmm. about my small apartment. And it was not just about the small apartment, which is a little smaller than the room we're in now. It was, what, tw- 12 feet by 6 feet? Is that? No, it was like, it was a triangle. So there was like 17, 12, and 9. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it was like a dorm room. It was like a dorm room. It was 115 square feet, I found out, after I left. 115. <laughs> 115, people. When, when's the last time you visited the Ace Hotel? Well, that's where it was. It was in the Ace Hotel. It's now the Ace that's, Hotel. That's, it was the Breslin, which is now the name of the restaurant there. Okay. But that was the name of the building. And it became the Ace Hotel, and they bought us all out. When was the last time you visited? I go to the Ace all the time. But do you go up to the fifth floor? I've only went once. And? I went to the Ace the other night. Horatio Sands was staying there, and I went to hang out with him in his room. Oh. That was the first time I'd been inside one of the rooms. And how did that feel? Weird. Because... It's not that different than the old rooms. Like the walls are the even though they even though they they I remember they did mm-hmm. like demolish the halls. Like right. they did rebuild everything. The walls are the same. The lighting's the same. Like it's still the same vibe. It felt like home. It felt like dank home because uh. it was kind of dank. But did you go to the fifth floor? I didn't. That was on a different floor. My but old you room. You didn't is go now to someone's. Like... Is now part of someone's hotel room because yeah. they knocked the walls down and they bunched, put a bunch How of How did you together. find that place? I found that place and before everyone asks I was paying three ninety eight to live there a month in a teeny teeny space bathroom in the hall yeah. bathroom in the right, hall Right you had a sink I had a sink don't ask <laughs> I did I did in the video I did in the video back in 2008 um, So uh, I found that place because I was living in Times Square in a very fancy apartment with another friend of mine and the rent was pretty expensive and i wasn't really working much mm-hmm. and so i had to leave because i realizing i'm behind on rent every single month and my buddy who i was living with was like like i love you but like you can't be behind on rent <laughs> so i was like okay i'm gonna leave and he had another friend who wanted to move in anyway and a buddy of mine from college who was an actor was living in this little space from Rhodes. from Rhodes. but i met from Rhodes who had moved to new york to be an actor but he wasn't doing any acting he was like he was like a, wasn't even a restaurant manager. He was like the manager of like a catering place, like a hotel or facility. Mm. It wasn't even a hotel. It was like an old folks facility. He was like the catering manager, some job like like yeah. that. So and far from the dream. So far from the dream. And I was hanging out with him, and he was like, "I think I'm gonna leave town, but I don't know. I think I, want, I should stay." Should I? He was. So, we were having lunch. He's like, "Should I stay here and continue <laughs> acting, or should I go?" Because he got a job teaching English in Prague. Oh. He didn't want to know if he should move to Prague and right. have a Prague experience or key stay in New York and like keep plugging away. Right. And I'm like, dude, move to Prague. Yeah. Get out of here. Get out. Why are you staying in New York? You're not acting. Go to Prague for a while. I would go to Prague. And then finally, when I, once I convinced him to move to Prague after lunch, I was like, what's going on with your apartment? <laughs> <laughs> and he was living in that place? He was living there. Oh, he was living there with a girl. What? Yeah. Him and his girlfriend were both living there together. They're married now, actually. Well, I mean, if can you, if you can, can survive you living in yeah, yeah. an apartment the size of a yeah. closet. Yeah. So I convinced him to move to Prague. Uh-huh. And then he was going to... I think he was going anyway. He just wanted someone to tell him to go. But he brought me to the building. Mm-hmm. And we went down to the manager's office. And Chris was like, I'm leaving. He's going to take over. Let's put him on the lease now. So right there, we just signed the leases. That was it. It was done. I gave them a bunch of months rent. 
and that was it. And was he paying three ninety eight or did he it was go paying up? less? <laughs> he was paying three forty eight. Oh, when so like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna jack, jack it up to three ninety eight, fifty bucks a month, which was the amount legally you could, because this thing on rent stabilized apartments you can mm-hmm. only you can only increase it seven percent every two or three years. There's a law about I that. I just I'm I'm trying to imagine what it would be now if they hadn't turned it into a hotel room like how, how expensive would, well, it, would it be because in 2016 they're talking about new micro apartments mm. that are that are just being built now in murray hill mm. but the starting rent for those micro apartments is three thousand dollars <gasps> and they're teeny studios they're maybe 200 square feet and they're three thousand yeah, dollars I mean, what's so funny about affordable, that? I was what's, paying... what's called affordable housing in New York City is not affordable, oh, even insane. in New York City. I was paying three, four hundred dollars, yeah. and my friends were all like, "Oh my god, three four? That's amazing! You pay four hundred dollars!" And then they would often come to my apartment <laughs> and they would go, "You're getting robbed! <laughs> You're getting robbed!" That was the big joke. But a lot of people felt felt that way. And other times, whenever I had to bring women home, yeah. Because the joke, the thing about the apartment was not only was there a small apartment, but I had a lot of stuff. It was a mess. So I had a lot of stuff it was in this a mess. little it was a hoarder. <laughs> it was a hoarder type situation. But it wasn't really a hoarder situation. It was just the fact that I have a normal amount of stuff in a small space. With no closets. and There was one little closet. So um, anyway, I would tell women, I would say, you know what? Before we went home, mm-hmm. I would say, I live in a very small space. I know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Half it. <laughs> now half it again. You're almost there. <laughs> One more time. Yeah. Now you're close. <laughs> and even with that joke, even with prepping them for how small it is, I'd open the door and they would spend every time the first 20 minutes going, what the? This is where you live? If you didn't have all the stuff, it would seem bigger. I guess. Because all the stuff crowds the yeah crowds the space. But now you're married and you, yeah. you both have stable jobs. More or less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, NBC just announced like, Big plans for for Jimmy Fallon's two year anniversary of the Tonight Show. Oh yeah, we're doing a highlight and a week reel of, and a week of shows in uh, LA. yeah prime time. We're doing a prime special time for Valentine's Day Highlights special, Valentine's and then Day, a week yeah. of shows in LA. We're doing a week of shows in LA every year. And uh, you didn't, so you did end up working for Jimmy Fallon. Even he was an investor at Mo Pitkin. He was, but we were where you where friend, you we were supposed to do the yet. sweet show. So uh, this is the foreshadowing where it comes yeah. back. I was supposed you to did do, end yes. up. I was supposed to do the sweet show at Mo Pickens. I ended up performing there a lot anyway with others sh- doing it on everyone else's show. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy was an investor. Although we were friends at the time, I never saw him there once. Not once. I know I heard he would hang out. Yeah. But I was there all the time and never saw him there once. Anyway, had no, you, had so you, we ended up becoming friends yeah. randomly. Just um we knew a lot of people in common. The first time we had met was at a dice game through a bunch of other people. It was like a Saturday afternoon hangout at like a restaurant. A dice game? Well, it was basically all this. Like you were in the alley well, through, I brought, throwing I, no, dice? No, 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 I'll be honest, I brought the dice. Okay. <laughs> um, no, it was, a, it was a, Jane Pratt was throwing like a party at like okay. a Saturday afternoon hangout with mm-hmm. just friends at like a restaurant because yeah. no one else was there. And I was with Josh Charles and Josh and I went and Jimmy was there and a few other people. And we were all bored sitting around and I, J- J- Josh and I would carry dice around at the time. <laughs> So we like, hey, you guys want to play dice? <laughs> so we played dice all afternoon. For money? Yeah, dollars, you know. Sure. And then... Um, high stakes. High stakes. So then we would, you know, we were friendly, and then uh, he saw a Stella video that I was in that he really liked. So Jimmy and I were already friendly, but then he cool. saw this video that I was in one Stella video, and I all I did was dance. I did one dance number. 
And he was like, that's really funny. In costume or in that costume? Uh, kind of a costume. Okay. And he was like, that's really funny. And then he, he would show it to people. Mm -hmm. He was like, that guy's the really funny guy. Yeah. They're like, yeah, that's Seth. You know him. And then um, <laughs> we sort of re-met and then started hanging out more. Had you done any audience warm-up no, before? No, I'd hosted a lot of events. Mm -hmm. Master of ceremony. I'd been a lot of hosting. I'd been hosting burlesque at the Slip Room late night mm -hmm. for years, like which is just two hours of just crowd work and like getting people pumped up and crowd work. So like kind of the same thing, but like for hours at a time. But I'd never done TV audience warm-up before. I think once, no, I don't think I'd done it at all. And Jimmy talked you into doing it. Yeah. Well, what happened was I, I think I've he has a story. version of the story. Okay. If you ask him, he has one version of the story. My version of the story is we were at Jim Javonin's birthday. Jim Javonin is a segment producer on the mm -hmm. show, on the show, and he came up to me and was like, "Hey, you're gonna be the warm guy. Like, brilliant! I thought of it. You're perfect. You got to do it. It's gonna be great." Da, da, da. And I had never thought of it before. I was like, mm, "I don't know." In my history of going to TV tapings, I never liked the warm guys. I never thought they were particularly funny. I was like, I don't think those guys are funny. So it just struck me as like, I don't know if I want to be one of those guys. So he was like, you don't want to do it. I was like, no, I want, I want, I want to do it because you don't want to do it. I'm offering you a job. You don't, you don't, you don't want to do it. No, no, I want, I want, I want to do it. So he ends up, um, I end up emailing him the next day. It's like, I want to do it. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Where do I sign? Who do I talk to? Let's do it. He doesn't respond. A week later, I'm in. Where do I go? Let's do this. Da, da, da. He doesn't doesn't respond i hear later that the test shows are starting i know when the test shows are starting up and i'm like oh my god they probably hired somebody at this, right. at this point i send one last email being like i don't know if you've hired someone but i'm interested if you right. you need me he gets two of the writers um jeselnik and wayne fetterman to do it and they're both monologue writers about the about the beginning of this oh, yeah. of the I know show. Both those guys. of course you do so they do the warm-up as a team <laughs> Can you imagine like, that? Can you like imagine Wayne Jeselnik? is on the keyboard? No. Wayne is on the keyboard? Both of them and... standing in the audience oh. with mics. Okay. It could have, I, I could picture it working if Wayne was on the, was on the piano. It was so, and I, I, didn't, I didn't see the first one, mm -hmm. but I got an email from Jimmy at 8 a.m. the next day being like, you have to come and do this. <laughs> These guys are not going to work out. I was like, those guys are great comics. He's like, they're just not good at this thing. Right. So I went and watched them. He's like, can you come today to watch? Yeah. I was like, yeah. I went and watched, and God, it was funny. But funny <laughs> not for me. Right. I didn't think it was right for what the show needed. Right. Sometimes so comedians funny. think bombing is the funniest. Thing. Well, they weren't bombing. It's so much like Wayne was trying to be up. Like, right. Let's do this. We're going to have mm -hmm. fun. And Jesnick brought him down. <laughs> <laughs> like Wayne was saying, like, hey, if there's a fire, you should, um, like, doing, like, the rules. Like, right. follow the pages. The yeah. pages will tell you where to where to go. And <laughs> Jesnick goes, yeah, just why don't you trust your life into a 22-year-old kid who never went to college? <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. It's funny, but the audience. But it doesn't maybe laugh. get them in the right oh, mood. I was dying. So then For, I met with them. I met with Jimmy and Shoemaker yeah. and Higgins afterwards. And they're like, You think you can do this? And I was like, I can do this. Yes. I, 10 minutes of getting people excited and being funny. Yes, I can t totally do that. And they're like, Great, you're hired. And you've been doing it every doing night it every, since. Every day since. What's the first thing you do to size up an audience when they. Uh, it's interesting you say that. Um, we do a highlight reel mm -hmm. as people walk in. So I'm sort of standing there towards the end as people are walking in and watching the highlight reel. And I know, even though it's on TV, it's a taped highlight reel, there's moments where the live audience will laugh, like watching and remembering right. the bits. So depending on how much they laugh at certain bits, I'll get a vibe of where they are all, all, already. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a sense of like, how much are they talking with each other? 
if they're not talking, it's dead silent. That's usually a bad sign. If they're all like chatty with each other, that's usually really good, a good sign. They've already got some energy. They got some energy. So the, I know before I even start, uh, I get a sense of where they are. And then, and then I go for it. And then I, you know, I have my, I start just talking and being funny and whatever. And then I get a sense within two or three minutes where they are in an average scale, you know, and then I adjust. No, I remember, I, geez, I came to a taping of late night and uh, Sean Patton was a, was performing as a guest comedian. As a stand-up, yeah. As a stand-up. And I was sitting with Kamail and Emily. Oh, and I remember a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And I remember, uh, and we were in the audience and I remember you were doing the warm-up and I remember you, you actually pointed us out and started doing stuff specific to us. Yeah. I sometimes <laughs> do that when I see friends in the, friends in the audience. <laughs> like, even though nobody knew who any of us were at the time. No, no one knew you guys were, but I, I, I was, yeah. knew who you guys were. Um, sometimes what's, what throws me off though, it's different from fr friends of mine. Mm -hmm. What throws me off though randomly is when there's like, sometimes there'll be celebs in the audience that no one prepped me for. So I'm walk, I'm walking out, I got my spiel, I got the jokes, I yeah. got the thing, I'm making half of it up. But all of a sudden there's like, like Joe Jackson was in the audience, not Michael's dad, but the singer. Right. And he's right closest to me, like face two feet from me. And like, no one prepped me for that. I'm like, I got, I got to deal with Joe Jackson judging me now. <laughs> This is what's happening. So I got to pretend like he's not sitting there going like this, judging me. <laughs> that was weird. Did you have any, did you come up with anything specific I, No, I didn't want to acknowledge him. I didn't want to make him uncomfortable. I tried to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Even I though I recognize people in the audience, I'll try to make them uncomfortable. I had a moment like that once. We had a lot of like reality show people in the crowd a lot. Wow. Like a lot of housewives come to the, watch the show. A lot of like girls from the Bachelor. Universal. Yeah, a lot of Bachelor people come. Okay. Uh, people also, I've noticed who were doing interviews on Today Show, if they're like, if they're not a guest on the show, mm -hmm. sometimes they'll just come and be in the audience on the same day if they're in the building. They'll be just, they'll do the Today Show, and, show then, uh, and, then, and then they'll stay, hang around and they'll come go, hey, the why don't you stick around and watch the show, Tonight Show, yeah. So sometimes I'll notice we'll that too. We'll hook you up. A lot of, so that's, but it's, it's always a little jarring when I'm like, oh, there's that housewife <laughs> I hate. <laughs> do you, do you do it on a case-by-case uh, -case basis or do you, what do you mean? Whether you acknowledge I never or... do it. Okay. I never acknowledge them. The only time the only time I acknowledged someone in the audience like that a couple times was like there's sometimes we'll have like viral stars in the mm -hmm. crowd. And like there was this kid on a game show on Jeopardy. Oh, it was this black kid who gave like a really funny answer on okay. Jeopardy. And he looked like Questlove's kid almost. He had a big fro. Oh. He was in the crowd, and I acknowledged him, and Quest and him did a whole bit together, and nice. he was his son. So it happens, it happens okay. occasionally. When is the uh, when is the last time you put on the Wonder Woman outfit? <laughs> Aren't you looking? It's on right now. Um, the last time I put it on, last month, I did this <laughs> show in Houston that I felt like they were kind of stiff crowd. I felt like <laughs> how funny would it be if I did the Wonder Woman crowd for this stiff Houston audience? And I did it. And they actually loosened up. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, how will you know when it's the last time that you will that put it on? That is a great question. And I don't know if I will. A friend of mine suggested, and I don't even know if anyone would care. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine suggested make a big deal about it. Like this is the last time it'll ever happen. You do the dance, you burn the outfit on stage, mm. and make a big deal of it. If you burn it, it, then it's real, though. But I could always buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> could you, though? 
<laughs> that was a $40 outfit. Um, I thought about it, and he suggested it many, many years mm-hmm. ago. And I've worked it hard. So, I mean, I've been on The Tonight Show doing it since then. Yeah. You know? Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know when the last time will ever be. I may not do it for a long time. I may bring it back 10 years from now. <laughs> for the for the 10 year anniversary of. So, yeah, I may not show. do it for a, long, for a long time. And then be like, oh my God, he's doing the fucking Wonder Woman. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, a, 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 a band playing like their old hits. Right. Or your Lifetime Achievement Award. And yeah. I'll do it for the Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, I usually wrap up by asking... Oh, we're my, done already? By asking my comedians, uh, my, my guests... Let's just do more, and then you can edit, edit it out. <laughs> what is the last great piece of advice you've been given? I feel like I just heard one. I mean, I, I read the internet all day, and there's always good advice if you look for it. Um, but you're around a lot of people who have survived show business. Mm-hmm. and You're talking about show business specifically, or just living? Well, Either. You know, I'll tell you something. There's things that keep you going and there's things that keep you from going crazy. Mm. Those are two different mantras and two different ways of looking at the world. There's things that get you inspired and there's things that you say to yourself to not literally have headaches and go crazy. Because it's hard, it's so hard to not be constantly comparing yourself to everyone else's journey. Yes. Very, very difficult. And it's hard to try to not be competitive all day, every day. Um, so you just have to constantly be reminding yourself to run your own race and concentrate really hard on your own thing and how to make yourself better and how to do... And what's interesting about comedy as opposed to acting and being in theater, we're like slightly different, I'd say. When you're just auditioning for, there's like a pool of things that are written and there's a pool of parts. And then there's a giant pool of actors trying to get these same parts. So you're just trying to be the best fit you can be into these different roles. And, but you're, there's really no, you have no say in it. You're just auditioning. When you're more of a stand-up, more of a creator and a writer, you have to write the thing that's good, that's best for you. So you just have to constantly be thinking about what's the best thing that I can do that's funny. How am I funny in a way that everyone else isn't funny? You know, like everyone's funny. I think everyone is funny in their own way. And a comic often will become, I don't want to say famous, but get traction and get attention once they figure out what their voice is, why they're funny as opposed to why everyone else is funny. What makes them sort of funny differently from everyone else? And I've seen it happen a thousand times. Once a, a comic finds their voice, then they, people are like, oh, now I really get you and you're great and you should be on this thing. But that's the thing, you have to concentrate on finding your thing that makes you funny and don't be comparing yourself to what everyone else is doing. Now if, if someone comes to you who's just an aspiring- Is that good advice? That's great advice. Right. Now on the flip side, if someone comes to you who's an aspiring performer- Which happens a lot. Yeah, what's the first thing you tell them? Keep doing it, do it every day. It's really, I mean, like, if you're talking about stand-up specifically, write a little bit every day, perform every night as much as you can. Perform every day, if you can. Like, that's really what it is. Like, like there's, you know what I find funny about comics, and I don't know if a lot of young comics are listening to this. The first two years to three years of you being a comic, you're gonna think you're really funny, and you're not gonna understand why people don't get you. You're not gonna understand why you're not a big deal. 
You're not going to be like, why am I not on all these shows? I'm so good. I'm so funny. And you're not good. <laughs> and there's so many comics I've met that are young that I was, I'm friendly with. And I'll say, you don't realize how not good you are now. And you're insulted by me saying that because you only see what's right now. And you don't see the future. Right. And I'll say to you, I can tell three, five, six years from now, if you keep doing this, you're going to be great. But right now, you're not there. You're not close. But you don't know it. And it's hard for people to see that. It's impossible, really. Yeah. Um, so I find that very interesting for young comics who think they're very good at the beginning. And they don't realize that they're not close to being good yet. It's fascinating to me, actually. <laughs> It's like I've opened the door to the future and you just don't have that door. You're looking at a wall. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway. Well, Seth. Is that is that was that too dark? No. <laughs> I'm I'm just glad that that I've known you long enough that I can I can share the, you know this time with you and look back in the past and see see everything that you've become in I've gotten better and worse, I feel like. I don't know. But you are definitely a a unique voice in this scene. You think so? Yeah. And Thank you've you. created a, a space where people can be unique. Yes, I've tried. But and my audience sometimes doesn't go with it. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But well, I, I force it on them. <laughs> I will often have very unique acts just to force it down their throats, be like, this is what you should be liking. Mm -hmm. Whether you like it or not, you should take this take this medicine, eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, I, will, I will happily eat it. And yeah. uh, I'm glad that of the thousands of comedians and actors and creative people you know, that I get to be one of them. You get to be one person I know. <laughs> so thanks for knowing me, Seth. Thanks, and I think you create a space in New York that no one else does. There's no other grand observer of the comedy scene in New York. I mean, there's like, I don't know anyone else who's like every day blogging about what's going on in the comedy scene, what's going on with us, keeping up, you know, talking about the issues that's happening with us. I read your stuff all the time. Well, th thanks, Seth. I you guess. know, you're always talking about who got what show and what other big issues coming up. There's like, there's a big controversy happening. You'll write about it. You know. Well, uh, do you write every day? Do you have a new blog every day? I I, I I post articles and reviews and interviews every day. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I I better get back to it. Yeah, you're late. All right. Well, <laughs> back to work. Thanks. Thank you, guys. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brzezell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. 